grab a hand. We're going to pray for the rest of the evening. <laughs> don't do the dating thing. Listen, don't squeeze anyone's hand if you want to date them tonight. Lord, we bless this time together in Jesus' name. And we pray, God, we pray that people would find their destiny (laughs) in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Um, How many were here, I think it was two weeks ago, on Sunday morning when I talked about redemption story? Do you remember I was talking about just the basics of Christianity? How many of you were here? How many were not here? Awesome, we forgive you. Bill, where were you? You were traveling somewhere, huh? China. Bill was in China. Well, that, that's forgivable. And um, I, I uh, was sharing about a month ago, you know, usually when, you, um, when I stand up before the congregation, I'm, you know, I, I'm often the, a few days before just like trying to figure out what I'm supposed to share. And it's not that I don't have something to share. It's like, what should we do for Sunday morning for this many people to hear? What message does the Lord want to kind of broadcast? And but for the last month, I, I've really been feeling like that we were to revisit the redemption story. Like, like I, I am finding that there's lots of Christians, like Christians that really love the Lord, that really don't know much about salvation. Like, what did I get saved from? Why is there hell? Da, da, da. And, uh, and I, I see people like saying really dumb things, just out of ignorance, I think, but posting you know, stupid stuff on uh, theological stuff that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, uh, yeah, that's not really the Bible. That's a great philosophy. It just doesn't happen to be true, you know? And um, so I, I, last week or two weeks ago, I just started talking about the redemption story. And just I'll give you just a couple of minutes of recap. Um, and by the way, I think you can get it on Bethel TV. It's on Sunday morning. You should be able to get on there and get it for free um, and just and watch that part because this really is part two. But we talked about that God um, blessed Adam and Eve, and he told them, be fruitful, multiply. This is Genesis 1, verses 27, 28, and 29. And at the end of, the, of that part of creation, God looked and he saw that everything he created was very good. And the point there in, in the message uh, a couple weeks ago was that when Adam and Eve were born, they were not born with a sin nature. How do you know that? Because when God saw everything he created, he said it was very good. And therefore, Adam sinned without the nature of sin, and he caused sin to come in the world through free will. Does that make sense? And then we talked about, um, we talked about how God told Adam. Um, he planted two trees in the garden, the tree of life. We know that if Adam would have eaten that tree, he would have lived forever. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God said about the tree of knowledge and good and evil, this is in Genesis chapter 2. He said, if you eat that tree, in the day you eat the fruit of that tree, you will die. In the day, look it up, in the day you eat that tree, you shall die. And so we know, um, so basically let's just say that God put a tree of life and he put a tree of death in the garden. And when Adam ate, and when Adam and Eve ate the tree of knowledge of good and evil, how many understand that they actually died spiritually? So what does, why do I have to be born again? Because Adam was spirit, soul, and body. But when he ate the tree, when, when Eve ate the tree 
they actually, the part of them that had communion with God died that day. And man, from that day on, it was right in Adam's seed that it was, it, it was part of the genetic code that people were born from that day on with a dead spirit. Not only was the Holy Spirit not in them, but how many understand that their spirit was actually dead? So then we're going to fast forward to, um, to uh, the book of John, and Jesus encounters Nicodemus, who Nicodemus is a Pharisee, but he's also a rabbi. He's, he, did you know that many of the Pharisees in the, uh, in the days of Christ actually were secret followers of Jesus? Nicodemus was a secret follower of Jesus, and he comes to Jesus and he says, you know, teacher, uh, rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that's come from God because no one can do these signs if God wasn't with him. And, and he begins to ask Jesus about the kingdom. And Jesus makes a couple of statements where we get the whole thing about the born-again experience. Jesus said, you can't see the kingdom unless you're born of the water and the spirit. And Nicodemus began, and he said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus begins to interact with him and said, how can a man be born when he's old? He can't return and, be, and come back out of his mother's womb. And then Jesus begins to interact with him and says, unless you're born of the water and the spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And he begins to talk to him about the rebirth experience. And so, um, and, and, and so we find that when Jesus, when we receive Jesus, we're actually born again. In fact, First um, John goes on to say that we were born of the sperm of the seed of God Himself. First John three says this. He says that everyone who's born of God doesn't practice sin because his seed abides in God. So, how many understand that when you receive Jesus Christ? you became born again. And then 2 Corinthians 5.17, one of our favorite scriptures says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The word new there, in the Greek, there's two words for that word new. New like I got a new car. And the other word is the word, we get our word prototype, like never before created. When we received Jesus Christ, we actually became a creature that had never before graced the planet. How many of you know that you live on earth and in heaven simultaneously? You're actually seated in heavenly places. Some people will say, do you believe in the rapture? Well, whether there is a, a rapture of the bodies, it seems like there is in 1 Thessalonians. But how many you know the word rapture, not in the Bible, it means to be caught up with Christ. And how many you know you've had one of those already? Because you are literally seated in heavenly places with Christ. You're in the very place that in the book of Ezekiel... It tells us that Lucifer wanted to rise to the heights of heaven, and he wanted to be like God and sit in the assembly of God. And the Lord thrust him down to the earth, and we talked about this, that, that the whole thing of the devil's demise. He went from Lucifer, meaning light bearer, to Satan and, and, and devil, which means deceiver. And the point is, is that he wanted to sit on the heights of heaven. He wanted to sit in the assembly of God. And how many understand what he couldn't do through his demented way, God gave you through new birth. You're literally seated amongst the heights of heaven in the assembly of God, and you sit on the seat of Christ. You didn't do that. He did it for you. Are you following me? So tonight I want to talk about, um, this is part two of that of redemption story. 
And I want to talk a little bit about what Christ did for you. Now, I, I, I want to show you that Christ died for you, Christ died for us, and Christ died as us. I'd like to suggest that Christ died for several reasons. Like, God is a multitasker. It's the woman's side of God. <laughs> Just a little bit of a joke. But God, God multitasks. Like we talked about, you know, Bill shared this many times with us, uh, that the Son of God became the Son of Man so that sons of men could become sons of God. And how many understand that God gave Adam and Eve, he gave them the planet, You know, David put it this way, the the heavens, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth belongs to the sons of men. So God gave Adam and Eve power or authority over the planet. He said, said, be fruitful, multiply, and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And we know that when Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed God, how many understand they didn't just disobey God, they obeyed another God. Why did God put a devil on the same planet? Well, there's probably lots of reasons, but one of the reasons is God wants you to have a free choice. You know why? Because love requires you to have a free choice. One thing that AI will never do is AI will never love. You can never program anything to love because love requires choice. How many understand that if God wanted you to have a choice to love him as God, he had to give you another choice? So there is a God of this world, and there's a God of another world. Are you with me? And so when Adam and Eve, when they chose to eat the fruit that God said, don't eat the fruit, how many know the devil said, eat the fruit? So they didn't just disobey God, they obeyed another God. And they put the entire planet under the power of Satan. And in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, Satan says to Jesus, If you will bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Listen to this. For they have been handed over to me. So Adam, if you will, he, representing man, handed the planet over to the devil. So how many understand that because God gave the planet to humans, he had to take it back as a human? So that's what we talked about in the first first, uh, part of the redemption story. If you'll turn to uh, Romans chapter 5. I want to show you the, a couple of more things about the redemption story. And I want to show you that Christ, he died for us, but he also died as us. And there's, that is two different things that simultaneously are happening at the same time. So Romans chapter 5, verse 6. While we were still helpless, and at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps... Uh, for a good man, someone would dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, there's probably lots of different things from this passage. And by the way, there's, Paul talks a lot more about this in the book of Romans. So if you'd like to do a study on Christ dying for us and Christ dying as us, I I would really love for you to just read the entire book of Romans, but really from chapter 1 to chapter 10, you'll you'll really get a good picture, especially if you read it in one setting. But I want to say this, that first Christ Christ died for us, and that means that he loved us when we didn't deserve it. You know, when we go to a dealership to buy a car, and we step on the parking lot, 
you know, we expect the salesman to do something like this. Hi, how are you doing? Oh, I love your shoes. Those are really nice shoes. Where'd you get those? And we realize it's a little bit of a game. We understand that he's being kind to us and hopefully he has good motives, but he definitely wants to sell us a car. He doesn't, he's not loving us for nothing. He has an go- end goal. But Christ died when you couldn't do nothing for him. Like, in other words, he demonstrates what the love of God is when he died for people who didn't deserve it. He didn't die to fix you. He just died because he loves you. That tells us, first of all, how much value you have because how many know that the, the value that of Jesus on the cross determines the, the value of the people he purchased? The sacrifice Jesus made on the cross determines the value of the people he purchased. He purchased you while you were still a sinner. Some people get married so they can change the person. That's a great way to wreck a good marriage. I'm going to marry this person for what I think they could be. How many of you know Jesus married you when you weren't anything, and he didn't marry you so you could be. He just married you because he loves you. This is how love is demonstrated, that he loved you. Listen, he loved you while you were sinners to demonstrate that love that the love of God does not and doesn't love you so you'll do something or be something different I said that not so well but you get the idea I could go back and fix it but if we were writing a book right now that would definitely be an edit number two uh, uh, when Christ died for us it shows us that he has no strings attached. He, he doesn't love us, so we will change. He just loves us. You know, um, this isn't probably a mystery for most of us that have children. I remember um, that when we had our first daughter, uh, Jamie, and I, there was lots of things that happened when, when you have your first child. We were very young. Kathy was 17, uh, 18, and I was uh, 20, 20, 21 when we had our first child. And I remember having uh, this deep experience. You know that verse in Ephesians that says that you would know the love of God that's beyond understanding? It's like that you would know by, with your heart what you couldn't know with your head. Well, that verse made a lot more sense when our first child was born. And I had a love for her that I couldn't even explain. Like, I didn't even know it was in me. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? You know? I, I notice I don't have it for other crying children, but I had it for my own. <laughs> I try to cultivate that when I'm on the plane, you know, and the kid's like, ah! I do not love you right now. <laughs> and so, and, and thirdly, and probably most importantly, his sacrifice paid for our sins. His sacrifice paid for our sins. And I told this story um, last, uh, two weeks ago, and I've told it many times, but I really feel like it's a great example of how redemption works and why there's such a big difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Um, when, when, uh, just think of it like this. Let's pretend Bill's the judge. He looks like a very judgmental person. <laughs> and let's pretend that Gabe, Gabe killed my brother. And so we go... we're streaming so we just let's be wise with our words and so so we go before the judge and the judge goes oh Gabe yeah I knew your father we used to golf together go free how many know that's mercy but it's not justice 
See, God sits on the mercy seat, but the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice. See, God has a challenge because he wants to release mercy, but he has to create justice. So Gabe's mother comes and she says, I will die for Gabe. And, and Judge Bill looks and he looks at, uh, so, oh, Mrs. Fel- no, you can't, you can't die for Gabe because you're also a fugitive. See, the soul that sins shall die. You're actually on death row. We've been looking for you. You can't die for him because you will for you. All of a sudden, the, 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 the son of the judge steps up. He says, your honor, I will die for Gabe. And so when he looks, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, oh, wait a second. You're not a fugitive. You never sinned. You wouldn't die. So Jesus, so I'm like, what was, wait a second, he killed my brother. Yes, he killed your brother, but your brother was already on death row because your brother was also a sinner. He was a fugitive. So I will give my son for your brother, for, for Gabe, I will give my, my sinless son for your sinful people. And therefore, I will create justice. How I many you know what, God, what Jesus did on the cross is he created justice so now God can release mercy and not be a crooked judge? Are you with me? In the Old Testament, we are reminded that, of the power of sin. And Bill shares this uh, uh, many times that in the Old Testament, if you touch a leper, you got leprosy. But in the New Testament, Jesus touched a leper. And the leper actually got cleansed. So in the Old Testament, we see the power of sin. And we see God's attitude towards sin. Not God's attitude towards people. God's attitude towards sin that was destroying people. But how many you know, in the New Covenant, what is the New Covenant? The New Covenant's in the what? Blood. It's in the blood. Are you with me? When Jesus died, he shed his blood. God created justice through Jesus so he could release mercy. Now, how many of you know, people say things like, well, Ananias, God killed Ananias and Sapphira. Listen, God can take your life anytime he wants. He can take you to heaven whenever he wants. He can do that. He's God. He gives life and he takes it away. But God doesn't have to take your life to create justice because he already did it with Jesus. Are you with me? If God thinks it's wise to take you early, that's his business. But he doesn't have to take your life because you sinned, because you already took care of that on the cross. So Jesus died for you on the cross. Now, let's go down to Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin so grace may increase? Now, um, just to give you a little uh, overview of chapters 1 through 5, which we didn't read. And by the way, you have to read Romans like in one setting if you really want to get the power of Romans. It's, it's, in my mind, it's like almost no other book. Like you have to read Romans to get the overview of what Paul's actually saying. You have to sit down and read the entire book of Romans. It takes about probably 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And you will, if you've never read Romans at, in one setting... <laughs> And you've only read it chapter by chapter, like I read a chapter a day. I, I usually read a chapter or two a day. But you can't really understand Romans that way because it, Romans actually has an overview where Paul's actually taking you on a journey from chapter 1 to chapter 16. So if you jump in the middle of the journey or you forgot yesterday's part of the journey and you're in today's, it, some of the chapters 
let's say it this way, some of the chapters you could take a totally different way because you took that chapter out of context. I'd say Romans is one of those books, probably in the New Testament, one of the main books people misquote because they have not taken the overview of what Paul's trying to say. Are you with me? So Romans, in Romans 6, Paul says, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin so grace may increase? Now, from chapter 1 to chapter 5, there is this theme that's going through the chapter, which that makes this verse is a climax of five chapters in which Paul is demonstrating that we were saved by grace and that we're no longer under the law for what the law could not do, because it was, as we're going to read about that in a minute, grace did. And he, and he, began, and he says, where sin abounds, the previous verse is, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And grace is not just undeserved favor. Grace is actually also the operational power of God. So God didn't just say, well, you know, um, listen, you sin, but you can come in anyway. How many know that's mercy? I love this example. I didn't originate it, but somebody said that mercy and grace. When you, if you were going 50 miles over the speed limit, an officer pulled you over and he didn't give you a ticket, that's mercy. You didn't get what you deserved. But if a police officer pulled you over for going 50 miles over the speed limit and he paid you $1,000 for speeding, that's grace. You got what you didn't deserve. You didn't just get salvation, though. Grace is actually the power. Grace is actually the operational power of God. And it gives you the ability to do what you couldn't do one second before. So God didn't, you know, Jesus didn't just say, you know, follow me. How many of you know? It wasn't that simple. You were actually held, Ephesians chapter 2, in the clutches of hell. Like once you gave up your will, the devil goes, I'll take it. And, and literally, we were held by a power. So when Jesus said, I forgive you, come, he didn't just say, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. He said, I'm going to give you the power to do what you couldn't do in the first place. You couldn't follow me because there were forces against you and there was sin in you. I'm going to give you grace, and grace is going to take you from the clutches of the enemy and change your nature. Yeah. Are you with me? So, so it feels like by the time Paul gets to the end of chapter 5, when he says, um, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. By the end of chapter 5, it feels like Paul's saying, we should sin so we could get some more grace. Like, grace is so amazing and it makes everything work well, we should do bad so we can get some more. So Paul says, wait a second, what shall we say then? Are we to sin so grace will continue? And he, and so that grace may increase? May it never be. Listen to this. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us have been baptized, who have been baptized... We were baptized into Christ Jesus, and we've been baptized into his death. Let me read it right. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. We have been buried with him in baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Listen to this. For if we have been united with him, in the likeness of his death, surely we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. That our old self was crucified with him. Um, 
with him, da 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 da, with him, in order that the, our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never again to die. The death, death no longer his master over him. For the death that he died, he died once. He died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Okay, listen to this. Did you see it says that we were united with him in the likeness of his death, knowing that we were crucified with him. Okay, now follow me. He, Christ died for us, and we talked about that. But one of the most powerful things that happened is Christ died as us. So when Jesus died on the cross, you died with him. When Jesus was on the cross, how many know you were hidden in Christ? Paul says in Romans that when Christ died, we were united with him in, in, in his death so that Christ died when Christ died, I died with him. My old man died. Okay, when Jesus, the first reason Jesus died is he died for our sins. The second reason he died is we died, he died not just for us, but he died, I'm sorry, he died, <laughs> he died as us. The powerful thing is that when he died as us, our old man died. So he didn't just die to pay for our sin, he died to change my nature. The second part, in my mind, of course you, you can't have the second part without the first part, so how do you separate them? But the second part, in my mind, is the most profound part that most people don't get. Jesus didn't just die for me, he died as me. When Jesus died on the cross, I was with him. And that means that my old man is dead. My old man died. Sin no longer has power over me. Why? Because I'm dead. When did I die? When Jesus died, he died as me. I was with him on the cross. How many understand that baptism, remember Jesus said you have to be born of the what? Water and the spirit. When we got baptized, how many understand baptism is not a symbolic act? It's a prophetic act. If you make it a symbolic act, you come out of the tank wet. But if you make it a prophetic act, you come out of the tank alive. You enter the tank with a cross and you exit with a crown. Are you following me? Remember when um, Naaman the leper in the Old Testament, there was a captain of a army, an enemy army of Israel actually, but he was a leper. And um, one of us, he heard about Elijah, that Elijah could heal leprosy through this really fantastic story. He ends up at, I'm sorry, it was Elijah or Elisha? Elisha. That Elisha could heal leprosy. Because it was Gehazi who went out and healed him. And so he comes to Elisha's tent, and Elisha doesn't even come out. And uh, he tells Gehazi, go tell him to dip seven times in the Jordan. He's obviously angry. He says, there's better water in my country. Why would I dip in a dirty Jordan? And he rides off angry. And his servant says to him, boss, I mean, what do you got to lose? Dip seven times. The worst that could happen is you get wet. He dips seven times and you know what happened, right? He, on the seventh time, he comes out clean. How many of you know? There's no magic in the water. Physical obedience brings spiritual release. That was not a symbolic act. That was a prophetic act. When you get in the tank, we put you under the water. What is that part for? It means you died with Christ. Yeah. 
Romans 6, that we were buried with him in what? Baptism. You're being born again. We put you under the water, and what are we doing? We're planting you like a seed, and a seed can't live until it dies. But the second part of the prophetic act is we take you out of the tank. When we lift you out of the water, how I many you know if we, if we identify with Christ in the likeness of a death, certainly we shall also rise with him. So when we pick you up out of the water, how many understand the old man died and we take you out a new Adam, the second Adam. You no longer have the nature of sin. (laughs) Okay. It's going to get better. Christ died that my old man, my old man died, so my sin nature died with him. Now listen to this. Romans 8 verse 3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Listen to this. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Get this. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Let's uh, do 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay, let's start over. What happened? Jesus hung on the cross And when he hung on the cross, he was sinless, right? But he became sin. So God took the sin of the world, put it on Jesus, and destroyed him. What did he do? He destroyed sin in the flesh. What happened? I was on the cross with Christ. When God destroyed sin, my old man died. But guess what? Then I received his nature. He received my nature. I received his nature. He received the sin nature, but how many know it was killed? It died on the cross, and I received his nature, which is, which is what? I have the nature of righteousness. I am in the, I'm not just righteous. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He took on sin so he could destroy sin, and then he gave me his nature. I said, here, you can have mine. And he said, here, you can have mine. It's the great exchange. It's beauty for ashes. How many understand that in 1 John uh, chapter 2, it says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Do you know before you know Jesus, you need a Savior? (laughs) But after you know Jesus, if you still sin, you need an attorney. (laughs) Why? Because before you know Jesus, how many know, until you engage Christ by faith, you don't receive the nature of Christ. So before you knew Jesus, of course you're sinning. You're a sinner. It's your profession. The world acts like the world because the world is the world. We go out and we judge the world. I'm not concerned about what the world's doing. Well, the world's doing this, the world's doing that. The world is acting like sinners because they are sinners. But how many understand, once you get saved... You no longer need a savior. Of course, you always need a savior. You know what I'm trying to say. Just if, if you take it, don't take it out of context because I wouldn't agree with this one line by itself. But once you receive Jesus, you no longer need a savior. If you sin, you need an attorney. Why? Because the Jesus has to explain to the Father why you did wrong without an evil nature. Are you with me? Okay, so let's, let's just digress for a couple of minutes. Let's go to Romans chapter 7. And the only reason I'm doing this is because there are a lot of young 
believers in here and, and that follow us that they quote Romans 7 to me on Facebook all the time. Whenever I tell them, you're no longer a sinner. Like, you don't have to sin. It's, it's like, and people write me like, could you go for a week without sinning? It's not my nature to sin. It's not my nature to sin. I didn't say I never sinned. I said it's not my nature to sin. Well, I don't believe that. I know that's why you're sinning. Because you don't believe it. How many understand you got righteous by faith? You got righteous by faith. Bill preached about it today. You got righteous by faith. So if you don't believe it, then you don't receive it. And I'm not talking about, you know, blab it and grab it. I'm talking about the nature of the spirit world is that when I believe it, I attract the thing I believe and I receive it. I actually receive the reality of it in my nature. So here's the challenge. If I was in a church that, you know, God loved everyone, and, and I, most pastors I know, almost all the pastors I know, they all love God, but doesn't mean we all have perfect doctrine like mine. <laughs> sure, mine's not perfect either. But my point is, is that if, I, if the church has taught for years, 100 years or more, that you receive Jesus, you're still a sinner. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And we think we're saying to, to God, I realize that I'm still in need of you. Listen, I need Jesus, but not because I'm a sinner now. How <laughs> I many you know I still need God even though I'm a saint? But when I say to God, everything you did on the cross still kept me a sinner, that's an insult to God. Jesus didn't die on the cross just for you. He also died as you. He died to transform you. So when you say to Jesus, you died on the cross for me, but I'm still the same, you're insulting God. You're not being humble, you're being stupid. So when, when, when people teach you, well-meaning people, all of them, when people teach you, you're, you know, you receive Jesus, but you're still a sinner, how many understand you didn't engage that part of the kingdom, and therefore you're still struggling with sin, just like you did before you knew Jesus? You're like, well, he paid, and, and it becomes like, well, he paid for that one too. And then I do another thing, like, he paid for that one, he paid for that one, and I'm like, I have this perpetual payment that Jesus is making all the time because I didn't actually engage the fact that he wants to change me to a righteous nature. Okay. Good point, Chris. Okay, so now, uh, let's see. We're going to just open the Bible. I know, it's come to that. People they write me like, you don't teach out of the Bible because I teach on my iPad. It's the Bible right here I'm reading, by the way. I'm not sure what they're thinking. Okay, so let me just kind of, I wish we could like, it would be awesome to just do a Bible study that's like four hours long and we read chapter one through chapter eight. That would be like amazing. But because we can't do that, I want to just give you the background for Romans 7 and why you can't read Romans 7 by itself because it's a part of a letter. Are you with me? So Paul writes in, in, in chapter 6, which I just read you, that uh, verse 5, if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that our old self was, past tense, crucified. Past tense, crucified with him in order that the body, our body of sin might be done away with right? That we are no longer slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from what? Sin. Are you, are you reading? 
Okay, no, no, just stare at me. Just do something. (laughs) Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing this, that having Christ having been raised from the dead is no longer to die again. The death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. Verse 11. Therefore, consider yourselves, help me, dead to sin and alive to Christ. Okay, what am I, how am I supposed to think of myself? Dead to sin and alive to Christ. Okay, so now let's go to Romans 7. Now, by the way, 44 times Paul says, you're dead, you're crucified, you're dead, 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 crucified, dead, crucified, dead. 44 times in the book of Romans. It's very clear, you're dead. Why did Paul say that? Dead people don't sin. You're dead. Jesus didn't counsel you. He killed you. He's like, I tried that counseling stuff. Didn't work with those people. Just just kill them and bring them back. (laughs) Okay, now, verse chapter 7, verse 1. Look how it opens up. Do you know, brethren, and I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. Now, let's stop for a minute. So now Paul is talking to the Jews in Rome. Okay, now, it's valid for you and me, but he's actually talking to Jews. Okay, you, you who know the law, okay, that's probably not most of y'all, you know that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. Now, why does Paul make that statement? Because he just said, you're dead. (laughs) Are you with me? And so now he's going to give you an example. For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he is living. Now, if you were a Jew, you would totally get this. It totally makes sense to you. It's an example for people who understand Jewish law. So, for a married woman is bound to, by law to her husband while he's living. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning her husband. Verse 3. So then, while her husband is living, if she's joined to another man, she's called an adulteress. But if the husband dies, she's free from the law, so that she's not an adulteress, though she's still joined to another man. Okay, so just think of this. What's that? Oh. I don't know what you're saying. But anyway. Okay, so think about this. If um, in, in Romans it's saying that in, ver- in, chapter, in chapter 7, I'm sorry, please don't interrupt. In chapter 7, it says that if the woman marries a man, she divorces the man, the first man, and she marries another man. The law says, the law and the Old Testament law says she's an adulteress. Are you following me? Now, she hasn't done anything at all. She's still married to the second man. Are you with me? Now, the first man dies. She hasn't done anything. But she goes from adulteress, and now she's no longer an adulteress. Did she do anything? No, she's still married to the second man. But under Jewish law, what she did wrong suddenly became right because the first man died. <laughs> Are you with me? We used to be married to Mr. Law. But Mr. Law died. And now we're married to Mr. Grace. Did you do anything? No. Mr. Law died. <laughs> Are you with me? So now he goes on and he talks about how, uh, for several verses, that when he was a Pharisee under the law, are you with me? That the law told him all the things he was doing wrong. 
In fact, he goes on to say, when law came, sin increased. Why? Because how many understand that, that sin is the heart issue? Are you with me? So if I'm doing, let's say there's 10 things that I'm doing wrong, but I only know that five of them are wrong. And then the law comes and goes, no, no, there's not five commandments, there's 10 commandments. How many of you know, all of a sudden, if I don't change, if I don't go, oh, those other five things, I don't want. If I do the same thing, when the law came, it told me, hey, those things you've been doing, they're wrong. How many of you know, now sin increased in my life because now I know that what I'm doing is wrong. Paul is talking about what happened when he was a Pharisee. He learned more and more and more and more about the law. And what happened? He got guiltier and guiltier and guiltier because the law gave him rules, but he had no power to actually change. And he said, the more I knew, the worse I got. And he says, am I saying the law is bad? He's saying, no, the law is good. The problem is, is that the law revealed what was actually going on in my heart, but it didn't give me the power to change. By the time he gets to the end of chapter 7, he says, I was aware that sin was in me, the very one who wanted to do good. (laughs) I'm trying to do good, but I can't do good because evil actually has a power and I can't break free from it now that I know I have it. And then he goes, wretched man, who will set me free from this? Paul's not saying I'm currently in sin or he couldn't have wrote Romans 6 and Romans 8. He's saying, when I was a Pharisee, let me tell you what it was like. And he talks in first person so he can pull you into the story and let you know. And remember, he's talking to Jewish people in that specific chapter. He's saying, you guys all know what it's like. Remember, you guys are under the law, and we keep getting more and more rules. All you guys are trying to follow law. But, but just like you, I was miserable. And he begins to talk about it in first person. Like, wretched man, I'm aware that sin is actually in me the very one who wants to do good. So on one hand, I'm trying to do good, but on the other hand, I'm doing evil. Every Jewish person who read that chapter in that day wholly understood what he meant. Because if they didn't know Jesus, they're like, yes, I'm trying to do good, but it keeps getting worse the more I know. He goes, yeah, that's what was happening to me. The more I knew, the worse I got. Not because I was doing anything worse, but because now I knew it was bad, but then I didn't have any power to get out of it. That's Romans 7. Romans 8 begins with this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Listen to this. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled for us who walk not according to the flesh, but the spirit. And he goes on to talk about the power of the Spirit. Romans 7 isn't saying, well, you're just, you know what, you received Jesus, but you're going to struggle your entire life with sin. Well, if you're a Pharisee and you don't receive Jesus and you learn more and more about the Bible, but you don't have a relationship with God, how many of you know religion will take you deeper? Not in God, in guilt, in condemnation. Do you know the difference between conviction and condemnation? Condemnation says you lied, you're a liar. You slept with someone, you're an adulterer. And condemnation connects your, your sin, your action, 
with your nature and says, see, you did evil because you are evil. But conviction says you're way too awesome to be acting like that. Conviction reminds you that you have a new nature and you are acting below your nature. Stop it. How many know conviction hurts so good? I mean, who wants to be convicted? Anybody ever want to be? No, we don't want to be convicted. But how many know that conviction is that hurts so good? It's like conviction tells me I'm alive. Conviction tells me that my limbs, you know, pain's bad, but what's worse is numb, right? When you can't feel your feet, when you're cut off from the head. How many of you know conviction means the nerves are working? I did something wrong. I thought something wrong. I did the right thing with the wrong attitude. And all of a sudden, I don't need a rule to tell me it because I have a relationship with a holy God. That's a good word. Okay, now, this is important. I think I'll read it. Justice is written into our nature. Justice is written into our nature. How many of you like uh, cop films? Uh, how many like Gladiator? Okay. Oh, boy, there's a lot of you who need to be exposed to the truth. <laughs> In a really good cop film, this, almost always the first scene opens with what? A crime. You see a crime. And what happens when you see a crime? Have you ever watched a movie, like maybe you walked in the room and someone had it on, and you walked in when the crime was happening, and for what, you already know where it's going, but you feel compelled to sit there until you see justice. <laughs> you're just what? You want to see justice. Why? Because you're like God. You are wired for justice. Now, this is really important. This is the most practical part of the cross. You were wired for justice. If you don't understand that justice happened on the cross, you will create it yourself. If you don't understand the cross, and I'm telling you, I don't think that counseling without the cross makes any sense. Because counseling without the cross just causes you to blame someone else. And I, I, wrote, I wrote this. Let me just see if it makes sense. Justice is written into our nature. For example, filmmakers understand our nature and they use it to entertain us. The first scene of a great cop movie is something, someone doing something, something, someone doing a terrible crime. Why? Because once you view a crime, your soul cries for justice. We will watch the rest of the movie to bring closure to the justice cycle that's written inside of us. When we violate our own set of standards, our soul cries for justice, usually in the form of punishment. So this happens, So we have three choices. In other words, you do something wrong, you have three choices. Number one, there's maybe more. These are the ones I thought of. Number one, we can shift blame to someone else or something else so we can transfer our need for justice to them. If we convince ourselves that it's their fault, we will be, feel obligated to punish the guilty party to bring closure to our justice system. Did you get what I just said? So one way, I, in other words, I am wired. If I do something wrong... Listen, it's ha- what happens when children are raised in a home where there's no spankings. <laughs> okay, I don't know if I believe in spanking. But where they do something. Yeah. I do too, but it was kind of quiet in here. When a child does something wrong, are you following me? I, I have 12 minutes, I'm going to finish. 
If a child does something wrong, because justice is in our DNA, they begin the ecosystem of bringing recompense to justice. To a violation, I'm saying. If they are raised in a, in a home where there's no discipline, they do something wrong and their soul says, I deserve to be admonished. If I don't get admonished, I begin to create cycles where I find ways to admonish myself, typically through punishing myself. If I don't do that, okay, let's see, back up. I'd sort of wrecked it. But the first way I get this justice system fixed, it's not really fixed, you'll figure this out, right? Is I go, okay, something was wrong. Oh, it wasn't me, it was Henry. And I shift the justice system to Henry, and I say, Henry made me do this. Now, not only do I accuse Henry, but guess what? Because I'm wired for justice, I become part of the perpetrator who bring justice to Henry by punishing him. You ever wonder why you feel inherently like you should be a part of punishing him? Now, this is all what happens if we don't understand the cross. You, you, you see where I'm going? I'm saying this is the nature, this is human nature. It's, it's in our nature to bring justice when there's an offense. So I shift blame to someone else. That way I don't have to feel bad we call it condemned because I go, wasn't my fault, his fault. It happened in the garden. God comes in the garden and says, Adam, what did you do? Wasn't me. Wasn't me. It was the woman you gave me. Hey, woke up, there she was. I mean, how can you blame me? <laughs> but listen to this. God says to, to Eve, what did you do? What, Eve, what did you do? Wasn't me. It was a serpent. What'd they do? They, justice was already working. And they're like, I... This feeling I have, I'll transfer it to Eve. Oh, I'll take it. I'll transfer it to the serpent. This is the ecosystem of shame. What happens when I feel ashamed? I give it to somebody else. And then I become a part of, their, of the justice system. I can't stand that person. They're so bad. They do this. And usually you're talking about you. You ever notice that when you describe someone else's offense... Your really good friends will go, uh, that's actually what you do. Uh, there's a bug on your windshield, and you think it's on them, but you're looking through your windshield. It's called blame shifting, and it's because I don't understand the cross. I don't understand the cross, or I don't apply the cross to my shame, to my sin. Therefore, because I have no closure, I didn't let Jesus bring me closure, I'm trying to bring closure. Number two, if we can't blame someone else, then we can punish ourselves, usually by doing something to get others to reject us or chastise us. Many people choose spouses who will fulfill their need for justice. I remember years ago, um, I was counseling three women who happened to be in the same situation. I didn't know that at the time. There were three separate counseling sessions, three different women I was counseling. This is the second year I was at Bethel. And just by chance, I was counseling three women who were all leaving, who were all had husbands who were literally physically beating them. Now, it took me, this is, I'm giving you this long journey to a short, I'm giving you a short story for a long journey. So, and, so I, I realized about four months into this, like, 
These three women, and I'm not just counseling three people, but these three people that I'm counseling all have identical situations. They're all living with husbands who are actually physically punishing them. Physically, I mean, one of them came with a black eye one day, and that was it for me because I was raised in a, in a violent home where, my, where I watched my mom being beaten. I have no tolerance for a man touching a woman. So I said to the, the, the woman who came with the black eye, I had been counseling her for a while, you need to leave this man and find some space. I, I, I wasn't telling her to divorce him. I was telling him, like, Tarzan needs to stay in the jungle. If he wants to act like an animal, let him talk to the chimps. Short story. Six months passed. I could not get one of those women to move out. One day, with woman one, I am praying like, oh Lord, this lady comes in, she's all beat up, she's physically, physically beat up. I'm like, it's killing me, I'm reliving my childhood. I'm like, how do I get this woman? And by the way, this woman's got two kids. All three of the women had at least one child. I'm like, I, you gotta get your kids out of this unsafe environment. One day, I get a breakthrough. This thing I'm teaching you, I learned there. And the Lord says, she doesn't understand justice. She did these things, she... And, and there was things that she had done in her, in her childhood, in her, especially in her teen years. And so she actually married someone to actually punish her because I hate being punished, but I love feeling justified. And so the Lord said, teach her about the cross and, and, she'll, and she'll leave. And so I shared this teaching with her. Obviously it wasn't, hopefully as well developed. And I said, Jesus died for you and you're dying for yourself. Peter and Judas both denied Christ. One created his own redemption, he hung himself, and the other let Jesus redeem him, and he became the head of the church. They both did wrong. One created his own justice because he refused to believe in the Christ. Peter counted on Jesus and became the head of the church. It's called penance. If you don't understand the cross, you will find people to punish you. Now, it may not be as extreme as those three ladies. You may not marry someone who beats you. But you will find people who reject you because it closes the cycle of justice for you. I did wrong. I got punished. Oh, it hurt so bad. It hurt so good. Like, I got what I deserved. It's like, yes, you got what you deserved, but Jesus wants to interrupt the ecosystem with the cross so you can get off the hamster wheel and receive what you don't deserve. Isn't it interesting that you receive what you don't deserve, then you become the person who should deserve it? (laughs) While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The point is, when you didn't deserve it, he died for you. But you do now. Last one, number three. We can let Jesus take our transgressions to himself and accept his death in place of ours. He paid for all the wrong we have done with his life. See, I don't know how you do counseling without the cross. What do you do? Deferred judgment? Because justice is necessary in your life. You have the nature of God. You want wrong to be wrong, and you want wrong to bring, bring brought to justice. Isaiah 58 and 59, it says that Jesus, or God, brought justice to victory. You all love it. That's what makes movies good. Nobody roots for the bad guy. <laughs> the bad guys do. Nobody roots for the bad guy. 
Even the bad guys don't root for the bad guy. How many people do a crime and leave evidence so they will be caught subconsciously? They want to get caught. It's one of the reasons why police know that, that most criminals will be caught. You know why? They want to be. The guy shoots 17 people. What does he do? Surrenders. Why? He knows, insane or not, the nature of God is him. I did wrong. I deserve to be caught. But this isn't about a man killing 17 people. This is about y'all. Some of us are poor. Spiritually, I'm not talking about blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm not talking about that kind of poor. I'm talking about the kind of poor that we think of when we hear the word poor. And we're poor because we think we deserve to be poor. And what we're saying to Jesus is what you did on the cross, it was enough to save me, but it wasn't enough to change me. And we actually, when, when wealth begins to come, whether it's money or influence or favor or all the above, we sabotage it. I don't deserve this. How many, you, you, you watch people, Marilyn Monroe, you know, what happened to Marilyn Monroe? She self-destructed. Why? Because people were giving her a place she knew she didn't deserve. This is the suicide solution. Nobody wants to kill themselves, but everybody wants justice to happen because it's in us as humans. And if we don't understand the cross, we create our own justice and we become like Judas. We go hang ourselves. And we think we're doing God a favor. We're actually insulting the God who died on the cross. Would you stand, please? Next week... I want to talk about the second baptism, the baptism in the Spirit. How many of you know Jesus breathed on his disciples in John 20, 20, and he said, receive the Spirit, and they received the Spirit in him. But how many of you know Jesus said of the Father in John 17, Father, I am in you, and you are in me. How many of you know when you receive Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in you? But how many of you know the goal is to also be in him? And we're going to talk about that next time. But tonight, there may be some folks in here that you don't actually know Jesus. You, you, don't, you know about Jesus, and maybe tonight when we're talking about salvation, you're like, oh, wow, I, you actually never received Jesus. I, I agree with the philosophies. I, 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 I love the teaching. I read the Bible. But I, yeah, I actually never actually received Jesus. And one of the ways you know is that Sin leads your life. Like, you feel like you're a slave to it. You're like, I'm stuck in pornography. I can't get out. It's like, okay, well, you're not stuck if you're a believer because God's given you power over sin. Sin doesn't have power over you. You have power over it. Now, we all know that this, what, uh, the power of deception, and you can be a believer, and you're like, I'm stuck here. And it's like, okay, you believed a lie, and that's how you got stuck because the lie is that sin has power over me. But the truth is, it does not. Sin only has power over people who are alive not people who died in christ and who are alive in christ are you with me so maybe you're here tonight and you're like i actually need jesus in my life can i have the, the the prayer team come up here that'd be great if that's you what i'd like you to do is i'd just like you to raise your hand um the bible says that if we confess him before men that he'll confess us before the father so this is a part of salvation i Say, I, I, yeah, I'm leaving Jesus, and I connect with faith. I plug in. How many know I can have a hairdryer, and I can walk around all day and go, this thing doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's like, you have to plug it in. <laughs> you have to plug it in. And so 
faith plugs you into the kingdom. And so tonight, I want to say to you, like, if you're in here tonight, and you've never actually plugged into Jesus, you've heard about him, you know, metaphorically, you're carrying the hairdryer around, but you've never actually plugged into Jesus, never actually followed Jesus, this is a beautiful time to do this. And if that's you, what I'd like you to do is just raise your hand, and there's nothing spiritual about raising your hand. There is something spiritual about acknowledging, yes, that's me, I'm connecting, I'm plugging in right now. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? You're like, I'm plugging in right now. Maybe there's people in the overflow room and people by watching by Bethel TV. That's you too. Just If you're watching by Bethel TV, please stand. You're not standing before men, you're standing before God. And even in your front room or wherever you're at, just raise your hand. God, that's me, I want you to see my hand. I'm following you tonight, that's me. Give me that righteous thing that guy, that old guy was talking about up there. That's what I need that. I need that righteous thing. I need the, this thing to be dead and that thing to be alive in me. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Is there anybody here you'd like to receive Jesus tonight and follow him? Anybody? It's awesome. All day long, we've had people who know the Lord in here. But I want to talk to people that are watching us by Bethel TV and just say this. Listen, what you need to do is you need to confess Jesus as Lord. Ask him to forgive your sins Find a really good church that, will, that you can get into. Have them baptize you because the, the prophetic act frees you from your old man and frees you to the new man. And have someone, find someone who knows the Lord better than you and have them walk with you because Jesus didn't just make Christians, he made disciples. Let me just pray for everyone tonight. Lord, we just bless what you're doing tonight. We thank you for the wonderful story of the cross and we thank you jesus that when you died on the cross you freed me from my old man you didn't just tell me about it you freed me from my old man and you freed me to be a new man a new woman in christ so lord i pray for the power of the cross to be extended right now into the congregation here tonight and over the airwaves, that everyone who listens to this would be set free from condemnation, set free from all kinds of addictions, from be set free from the, the cycle of penance and, and self-justice. And Lord, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would just fill them with your power to be witnesses, to be people who walk in divine nature. In Jesus' name. Just say, I receive that for myself. God bless you. Who's doing this tonight? God bless you. Thank you.